0: Welcome to the Epicenter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Epicenter Church, visit epicenterchurch.com.au How are we going? Excellent. All right, so to start off today, I just want to say how great it is that we have the Bible. Um, Not only is it a record and a testimony of creation, God's love, and God's plan for us, um, not only is it the story of Jesus and what He did and what He did for us, it's also a book of inspiration for who God is now. It was written a long time ago in a different language to a culture vastly different from our own, yet I'm still consistently amazed at how modern, understandable and relatable it is today. Take, for example, the book of Romans, which today Kat and I will be speaking about chapter 6 of. i had originally planned to work out what the socio-geographical climate at the time was, find something to relate it to today, And I quickly realised after reading it that I didn't have to. Paul, Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, he wrote it to Christians. He wrote it to a group of people who believed in God, who believed in the death and resurrection of Christ, who believed that through that act, Jesus had saved them and freed them from sin. In chapter 6 more specifically, he was writing to those in that group who believed in God but still chose to let sin run a part of their lives. Now I won't speak for anybody else but that sounds pretty familiar to me. Um, I feel when I read that chapter that Paul was writing to me just as much as anybody else back then. So before I really get into Romans 6, there are a few things I just need to clarify to make sure we're all on the same page. Romans 6 deals with sin. Sin's only a little word but it has big and varied understandings attached to it. So today when I talk about sin I'm primarily talking about habitual sin, so the, thing, bleh, so the things we do again and again and again, even though we know they're wrong, even though we know they're not ideal, even though we know they're in disobedience to God. These can be hugely devastating behaviours like drug or alcohol abuse. They can be less observable behaviours like internalised anger or jealousy. It doesn't actually matter for this conversation what the actual behaviour is. It's just that concept of repetitive deliberate sin uh, that I want you to keep front of mind while I'm talking. Secondly, I want you to be aware of a few of the ways that we react when we have that sort of sin in our lives. First, we have the perfect response, which is to not have sinned at all, to have led a 100% perfect life. Thank you Jesus for setting the bar so high. Excluding perfection, I'd say the least common response is to be unaware. I would say as Christians, we generally know if we're engaging in sinful sinful behaviour. Next we have, what's probably the ideal response, which is to identify the sin, to take it and lay it at God's feet, sincerely apologise for it and repent so that that act of sin is no longer present in our lives. And the last one I'll mention is, is one I believe is the most common, which is to be aware that we are sinning, to make excuses for it to justify it to ourselves in a way that makes it tolerable to ourselves or to convince ourselves that the benefit of that sin outweighs the cost Um, an easy example would be mild road rage, like if I get cut off by somebody I don't always respond out of love but it's okay because they didn't hear me and nobody heard me, so it's okay Right? It's not that bad because nobody knows that I did it. The last thing I need to qualify is that I'm not talking about salvation today. So when Paul was addressing um, Romans, um, he was talking to people who were already saved and yet chose to live with sin still in their lives. This sin didn't, didn't take away their salvation. It didn't even put it at risk. So once the decision has been made for Christ, the question of salvation is already, is already answered. Instead, today, I just want to discuss a more practical outworking of what that decision looks like in our day-to-day life. So, we can finally begin. So, Romans 6 opens with a question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? Good answer. Paul expands and justifies the question. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So that grace may increase. What does it actually mean? Well, it's one of those justifications for sins. Basically, it takes the truth that God loved us, even in our most sinful state. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He did that before we were saved. And through Jesus' death, God's grace and forgiveness was extended to us. It then takes that truth and twists it and basically says that the more sin we have, the more of God's grace we get. So more sin equals more grace. More sin equals more of God's love. At its worst, it's been used to teach that leading a deliberately sinful lifestyle was actually doing God's work, because it encouraged more of God's love to enter the world. It's it's scary, and it's a dangerous teaching, and more importantly, it's wrong. But with that theory in mind, I'll ask again. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Good answer. Well done. Correct. Thankfully, we don't really need to ponder this for too long, because... Paul answers us in Romans 6, verse 2. By no means, he says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's a pretty clear and emphatic answer. Shall we go on sinning? No. It seems simple enough to me. What I find interesting is the bit after the no, though, which is, for we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it? I'm sure this isn't a new concept for most people. But just in case not everybody understands, the way Paul writes, it's pretty clear um, that he is confident that, that his audience has some basic understandings of what he would consider core Christian yeah, beliefs or fundamentals. So when we become a Christian and are baptised in the Holy Spirit, our old self dies and a new self is resurrected spiritually. We are created anew. We are created afresh. We are created spiritually perfect, holy and pure. We are recreated with eternal life and with the bondage of sin in our lives broken from us. So how can we tolerate being in a sinful state any longer? If we have died to something, it is no longer a part of us. It is no longer, it no longer has a hold on us. It is no longer something we can live in. Verses 6 through 11 say it like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. I find it interesting and challenging. I've accepted Jesus into my life. I pray regularly. I try and put God first in everything that I do. Yet time and time again, I feel the pull of sin trying to lead me astray. And if I'm being completely honest, sometimes it succeeds. It's something I've struggled with for a while because when I read verses like that, I read them one of two ways. I either read them literally, like that we have died with Christ and are resurrected. As a, new, as a new being, like as a new perfect self. And then I've struggled with that because I'm still tempted to sin. I struggled with the fact that my mind and heart weren't automatically reprogrammed at that moment of making that decision to turn to God. The other way I sometimes read those sorts of verses is more metaphorically, which basically means that we choose to behave better, but nothing really has changed. Now, that doesn't resonate as truth, because it's not. If it was, we wouldn't need Jesus. The problem for me was that my two ways for interpret, interpreting these verses, and there are many other ways, it's just the way I read them, always left me feeling not good enough. Either I wasn't trying hard enough to be, to be better, or I hadn't had a true experience with God to cure my sinful behaviour. Like, I hope I'm not the only one that thought when they became a Christian, all their problems would be solved. <laughs> like Needless to say, I was a little bit disappointed. So why do we continue to sin? Why do we allow things other than God to rule aspects of our lives? Why do we have things that we repeatedly turn to under certain circumstances instead of turning to God? This is why I clarify sin at the start, because I'm not talking about the one-off mistakes that we learn and grow from, I'm talking about the little fortresses that we build inside our minds that we hide behind when we don't want God involved. So when God comes knocking, we duck down and say, there's nobody home. Or worse, we say, this is mine, not yours. And it doesn't matter what it is. If we shut shut God out of it, it'll be what we turn to when we don't want God being involved. If it's a problem with any sort of addiction, as soon as there's a situation we don't want to give to God, we will turn to that addiction. If it's anger, we will lash out. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just what we will turn to when the right or actually wrong circumstances arise. But why though? Why do we even have these secret places that we refuse to let God into? There's not one definitive answer. Um, It's pretty well debated actually. But I've got a couple of answers that make sense to me. So the easiest example I can come up with is if you've ever left... A plasma TV screen on for too long with one picture on it, then you replace that with a new picture later, you get screen burn, you get an image or an after image or an imprint of what was there. For people, it's the same. We make choices through our lives, some good, some bad, but at some point, if we call ourselves Christians, we've made a decision to be reborn with Christ. In that moment, we are recreated spiritually, we are completely replaced as a new being. But the body remembers who we were, the mind remembers, and old habits die hard. It's a strange thing when you become a Christian and start looking at the good and bad in your life. Suddenly things that were seemingly perfectly acceptable behaviours now have an element of shame or guilt attached to them. Paul even addresses that concept in verse 21. He says, What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? So although we aren't technically enslaved to sin, we don't know. We haven't learned how to respond any differently. In our old lives, these were our standard behaviours. They probably define parts of our identity, parts of our personality. So in news that's probably not news to anybody, these impulses, habits, behaviours don't magically disappear just because we've become Christian. Especially when we are talking about addictions or coping mechanisms linked to worldly factors. These responses will still be the default that we fall back to until we learn new ones. The second answer to why do we still sin? Is because we choose to. We may not be spiritually slaves to sin anymore, but if we don't know what else to do with our time, we will choose to go back to our sinful ways, not because we have to, but because we haven't learned a different way. So a quick recap. We were all sinners, we find God, And we're all still sinners. But at least we feel bad about it now. That's that's a message of hope for you. Thankfully, that isn't the end of the conversation. So all Paul has done so far in that chapter, and all I've hopefully done, is frame the issue to shine a light onto what the problem actually is. So the problem is that even though we no longer have to, we, as people, too often choose to put ourselves back under the authority of sin. Hello. So what do we do about it? Once again, thankfully, Paul has some pretty strong suggestions for us. So once we accept Jesus, we are no longer bound by sin. Romans 6 verse 13 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Uh, the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 30 says it a tad more extremely. And if your right hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. Effectively identify the parts of ourselves that lead us to sin and stop allowing that process to occur. Matthew challenged us to do that literally. You know, If your eyes are looking lustfully at people, pluck them out. If your legs are walking you into bad situations, break them. It's extreme, but it's effective, right? Like, You will learn not to do it. Instead, Paul offers an alternative, and that's to choose to be enslaved to righteousness. To acknowledge that we are no longer bound by sin, and instead freely choose to submit to righteousness, to submit to holiness. To offer all parts of ourselves as an instrument of what is good. It's a really powerful concept, and the best part about it is our involvement. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin against our will. It was out of our control. But after we know Jesus, we get to choose. We get to look within ourselves and listen to what God wants for us, and we get to choose. We can choose to go back to living under or in sin, or we can choose to submit ourselves to God and become slaves to righteousness. So what does that look like practically? Well, it looks like having an honest conversation with God, for starters, and first identifying the areas of your life that are still stuck in a cycle of sin. It's then a process to work out what gets you to that point, what the triggers are, so you can pinpoint those and put in safeguards and strategies so that when those situations arise, you make a different choice. Then you have to do it again and again and again until the draw of the old sinful habits is no longer longer present. It sounds simple enough. When you feel drawn to sin, instead choose not to. In theory, it's simple. In practice, it can be extremely difficult because what we're talking about here is ingrained behaviour. These are learnt responses that we've probably had since childhood and we are tasked with unlearning them. This doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing discipleship to train our minds and bodies to turn to God even when it feels easier or more convenient to fall back on old habits. So Paul asked another question in verse 16, um, which I'll ask as well before, before wrapping up. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. God has given us free will, and Jesus broke away any hold sin had over us. So it's our decision who and what we submit ourselves to. So ask yourselves, like honestly, what areas do you hide from God? what parts of our lives are we letting something other than God control? Then ask the real hard question of, are we still going to keep God at arm's length? Or are we going to invite him in and let him guide our actions and lives in all aspects? Now, this isn't a new problem. Christians all throughout history have made excuses and not led, not led sin-free lives. So this isn't about making anyone feel bad Or highlighting any one particular sin or one one particular area that needs to be worked on. It's about identifying the problem of not letting God into all aspects of our lives. So that we can think about it. So that we can reflect over it. So we can pray over it. And then we can choose what we allow to enslave us. Sin or righteousness. In every part of our lives, in every situation, that's the choice we're faced with. Sin or righteousness. It's a choice that we'll, can be, that we'll be continue to be faced with again and again and again. And sometimes we'll choose well. Sometimes we won't. And that's okay, because God loves us regardless. This isn't about earning God's favour. We've already got that. This is about allowing God to help us be the best we can be for ourselves and as a representative of Christ on Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to hear more sermons from Epicenter Church.